Well, we're in this pr- series on prayer, and one of the problems with prayer is it can get pretty complex. You can get to a point sometimes where you go, I don't even know how to start, I don't know where to begin, I've seen people pray, it seems like a big deal, and, 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 and it's really funny to me that we have a tendency to make things f- more complex than they need to be. For example, if you just take like losing weight, one of the ways to lose weight is pretty simply just you actually um, burn more calories than you eat. That's a pretty simplistic thing. Or in your financial situation, uh, one thing that's really important because it can get pretty complex and, and messed up, but it's just a matter of make sure you don't spend more than you earn, right? Or it can be in relationships. Sometimes you talk to someone and, and they tell you how difficult it is and what, it, what a really... T- we're in a situation where they're being disrespected, all kinds of things are going on, and you say, well, then why don't you just break up? And they say, well, it's just too complex. And the reality is... It's the pain of doing it that keeps them from doing it. It's really a pretty simple thing. That happens in all kinds of ways. It happens in, in, in organizations that things become complex. It happens in our marriages. It happens in our families. It happens in our individual lives. It happens in our spiritual lives. I was reading an, an interview by a man named Ken Siegel, and he had worked over 12 years very closely with Steve Jobs. And uh, he worked at Next with him, and he also worked at Apple with him, and, and they were doing an interview, um, and Siegel was, was the guy who actually put the I in the iMac, uh, which has been pretty historic when you think about it, and he is also the guy who led this um, uh, highly awarded campaign, Think Different, which is a part of what he brought, his legacy, and beyond that, he's, not too long ago, was the author of a book called Insanely Simple. And so when he had written that book, they did an interview, and, and he talks about it was the drive for simplicity that influenced Apple to innovate and develop. Siegel was asked about his book, Insanely Simple, and how he came to believe thinking simpler is so important. And he says in response, it wasn't something that hit me out of the blue. It was something I noticed over a long period of time working with Steve Jobs. And in fact, it, it was something that was reinforced by my time working with more complicated companies like Intel and Dell. Kind of threw those in. Anyway, um, I came to understand that Steve Jobs had this love of simplicity that affected his thinking on so many different levels. He would see everything through the lens of simplicity and then apply his common sense to it. And he struck down the things that were more complicated, whether they were part of a product's design or a part of the company's organizational structure. His way of looking at things was refreshing and pure, says Siegel. And he refused to compromise for anyone. He was about simplicity. And it was when the complexity started to interfere with Apple's ability to move forward that he became the rough Steve Jobs that we've all heard about. It wasn't that he was a mean person, says Siegel. He just had an extreme passion for what he was building. I think he was a little mean too. But anyway, the interviewer asked, why do so many people tend to think in a complicated way? What do you think causes people to think towards complexity and and rather than simplicity? And Siegel said, that's the big question, isn't it? In my opinion, human nature works for and against simplicity. He said, it's not that simple. So I don't hold individuals responsible for making things more complicated as much as I blame organizations for uh, creating structures that do so. And then he says, for many people, simplicity is scary. I think this is an interesting line. Because it's sometimes necessary to see what they do not want to see and face. Right? Simplicity can be scary. 
Because when it comes to finances, there's some things you have to deal with. Or when it comes to your, you know, eating, or if it comes to relationships, it's just you have to face some things. He says, I think that's where leadership comes in. Steve Jobs was a leader who had a vision. He led with strength and forced people to see the truth. Though it was difficult to work with him at times, it was also refreshing because he was asking you to pull all, all your effort, to pour all your effort into creating something great and not worry about the things that distract other companies. And I love this line. Steve didn't hide anything. He made you see the truth, no matter how uncomfortable it might make you feel. I thought, that's really interesting. And as I was reading that and preparing this message, I thought to myself, that's not too far from the way I think Jesus made people feel at times. I thought how often people might feel around Jesus when he would kind of just drive for the fact that he wanted you and me to be in a relationship with God that was really pretty simple. It was about acknowledging our need of him and understanding our offense to him and understanding that it needed to be forgiven and understanding that when you move into this relationship that God's provided for you, you can begin to experience his love and his provision and his care and that you can have that kind of relationship with him. And he didn't let anything, he didn't want anything to complicate that. Isn't that amazing? I think at times there have been followers around him said, Jesus, if you just wash your hands, we wouldn't have all this problem with the Pharisees. Jesus, if you, you would just eat some grain here. And Jesus was, no, the truth is these things get in the way. Jesus, if you just not say some inflammatory statements, and if you read the very Sermon on the Mount, it is one of the most inflammatory messages ever. He starts out and he he draws people to blessed are. He he begins right in those blessed and he draws, here's the simple truth of people who walk in the blessing of God. It's not what you expect. You've made it complicated. You've missed the mark. And then he goes on in that message. Listen to this. And and I think Jesus is this kind of person who um, could easily write the book insanely simple. He basically says, focus on the heart. You've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell anyone, and here's what he says, who hatefully is angry with their brother, they're subject to judgment. Just get back to the heart. It all begins in the heart. You can trace every evil action to the seeds of the heart. So let's, let's get down to what's simple. Jesus had that idea. I, I think he was the kind of guy who would have, he operated by the kiss principle. You know that kiss principle? Keep it. What, keep it simple, silly? We, we couldn't say stupid in our house, so keep it simple, silly. If you go ahead and you keep looking at some of the things that Jesus taught, he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Get back to the heart. It's focusing on simplicity. Jesus lived from the heart, and he longs for you and me to live in that heart relationship. And so he gets to a point in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at um, Matthew, and as we will look specifically at Matthew 6, 5 through 15, but if you look at 6, 1 through 18, Jesus begins to talk about prayer. And I think he forces us to ask some questions, such as, what have, in your own life, where have you made prayer more complex than it needs to be? How do you keep, sometimes from entering into prayer life, because it's become too complicated? What can you simplify? And I want you to think about that as we go through this message. Think about all those things. Think about your prayer life. 
What does it look like? If you're to stand before God right now and say, God, here's what my prayer life, what does it look like? And I'm sure many of us will feel shame and, you know, I'm not just doing what I should be doing, etc. That's not what this is about. This is about helping us understand prayer and helping us understand how prayer can really move in your life to do the very simple thing that God wants you to do, and that's to grow in relationship with him, to know his love more fully, to know your heart more, so that you're more aware of yourself in relationship to him and others. In Matthew 6, 1 through 18, Jesus lists three important spiritual exercises. And we talked just briefly about them last week. We talked about fasting. He, he talks about those, those areas. And, he, and, and in it, Jesus doesn't say, don't give, don't pray, don't fast. But he actually corrects things that have gotten complex and made this and these disciplines difficult. In fact, he says these very exercises, the things that we do, the things that we do to increase our spiritual vitality and relationship with God, need to be done in a way so they're effective. And I think that's what Jesus wants to talk about when we, we look at these verses. Because it's, you know, any of you ever exercised and maybe exercised with someone, maybe you're doing stretching exercises or you're lifting weights, and they, and they say to you, you know, by the way you're doing it, you're not getting the most out of it, right? You're looking like, I don't know what I'm talking about. You guys look like, maybe you don't exercise. I don't, Anyway. <laughs> Well, I think what Jesus is saying in some ways is, by the way you exercise, there are some ways you exercise this, this, this practice of prayer. And if you do them, it can be very effective in your growth, in your life. So he begins in Matthew 6, 1. He says, be careful so that when you give to the needy, when you pray to God, when you express your hunger for God through a fast, don't do this, but do this. It's kind of some don'ts and do's. And this morning when we look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15, I want to share with you three, five truths that can help simplify your praying that Jesus gives. It's from his word. And I want to, I want to share with you as well as, as you go through the message. I'm going to concentrate most of my time on the first three points. So if you're looking at your watch and you go, whoa, he's only in point three or five, um, it's because I've actually planned that this time, okay? Um, so he says when you pray, verse 5, don't. In verse 6, do. Verses 7 and 8, don't. Verses 9 through 13, do. And then he concludes with a kind of an interesting little statement. Why would you put it here? Verses 14 and 15. He says, do this, and if you don't, this is kind of what's going to mess up any relationship with God and with other people. And so he wants to pay attention. He doesn't end without noting that. So let me first begin by just saying, when he says this in verse uh, 5, he says, when you pray, don't make a show of it. Guard your motives. Watch out. Because one of the tendencies of prayer, especially in a public setting, is that we do it as a mark of spirituality. And you can do it in the sense of for others, but you can even do it for God. God, look at, look today. I'm just, I spent time in prayer with you, so you need to bless me. And God's going, no, I, I want to bless you anyway. And, and so there's this sense where Jesus begins and he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Let's get back to the heart. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, right there, on that street corner, they've received their reward in full. They've gotten what they've wanted. They've gotten the eye of other people to look at them and go, oh, wow, aren't they spiritual? This kind of prayer will not change your heart. It will only make you a slave to needing approval and finding your righteousness by impressing others. And folks, it does not impress Jesus. It will just complicate things in your walk with God. 
And so Jesus contrasts two kinds of prayers here, two basic prayers in verses 5 and 6, one for show and one for the sole purpose of you meeting with God. And so as as he kind of goes through this and as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to just point out a couple warning signs that if you find yourself doing this, you can find yourself doing this specifically sometimes in a public setting. Uh, things you might want to pay attention to. You go, oh, okay, this might, I better watch myself here. Now, I, I want to share with you, some of these things are things you've modeled and you've learned, and so you're just doing it from the background, maybe the, the uh, church background that you've come from. So I also want to say, when we say some of these things here, I want to be very careful that you don't move into judgment, because it's not our job to judge, right? So what I want you to do is to always recognize when you see those kind of things, that's God's job to judge. If you really feel compelled, you might want to say something to someone. But in most of these cases, I'm really talking about you just paying attention to yourself, okay? And so the first thing that I think sometimes can be a warning sign is to look at the fact, do I speak differently when I'm speaking to God than I speak to someone I'm just having a conversation with? You know, it's it's, it's that I'm speaking to God voice. Anybody have those? You've heard, you know, where, where normally they speak like this, but when it comes to prayer, oh, dear Father. We come before you. You know, that guy, I, and I'm, I'm stressing something there in a way that, that um, I want to be a little careful, but I just I want to just share that what Jesus is kind of saying in something like this is be careful that you just kind of stay in tune to who you are and who you are with God and, and to speak to him in that, in that same way. You know, my favorite prayers ever, my favorite prayers that I ever have had with other people usually come from people who say to me, you know, I'm a real pastor, I just, I've never prayed before. I go, oh, okay. And I just say, well, you know, it's just like talking to me, but now you're talking to God. So just think about, like, talking to God. Ever had those experiences? They are the most powerful. I remember one time praying with someone here, and they, and, and they said the same thing, and all of a sudden they started talking to God, and I, I had to look up to think God was sitting. I mean, it felt so real. That's what he calls, and he says, you know, that's just one thing I would just encourage you as kind of a warning sign. Another thing is that Jesus talks about here is eloquence in the sense of using big words and lots of words. That's not, you know, be careful. Now, I have to say, some people have really big vocabulary, so if that's true for you, then you've got to speak in the way you are. But God's not impressed by your many words, and and sometimes, um, I remember one time reading years ago, there was a guy who was a well-known pastor of a church, and they had these prayer meetings, and one guy was going on for like 15 minutes, and and (laughs) the pastor had the guts to stand up and goes, well, my brother Joe goes on, we're going to continue with the meeting. So, yeah, I I don't know about that, but just pray in your normal talk with God. Personal agenda, this can be really tricky. Uh, you need to pay attention to your heart. It's possible to pray according to what you want done and what others need to do to help you do it. As a pastor, I could pray with a circle of guys. I meet with different guys during the week in some small groups. And Let's say I meet with one and I know the guy's a plumber and I've got a leaky faucet and I say, Oh, Jesus, I don't know what to do with my leaky faucet, but you do. You know, I really should just turn to him and say, hey, I got a leaky faucet, do you want to help me? We really need to be careful when it comes to prayer, why we use it and what we do behind it, I think Jesus says. Or gossip is another one. There's nothing to really watch when you pray. Uh, you know you, when you pray for someone, in those situations, I think when you are gossiping, it's like making an announcement, something like, please God, help Jane to resist the temptation from seeing that guy. And they're all going, <gasps> you know. You don't ever pray those kind of things unless that person has asked you for prayer in that setting or they're present with you. 
And those are just simple things that God calls us to do. Now, if you look at verse 6, he says this. When you go pray, when you pray, go into your room. And the word room here is an interesting word. It really means the word storeroom. In, In that day when Jesus lived in the homes that they had, and many of them had smaller homes, you didn't have doorways. They didn't have hinges with doors. You had entranceways. But in one room where there was a storeroom where you protected and kept things, they would have a door there. And he basically says, go into your storeroom. And the reason he says that is he says, close the door. So that is the place where you can go and pray to your father who is unseen. The whole idea here is he's just making this contrast between going on the street corner and parading your spirituality Versus actually going into a place where you're alone and you're private. And it's not about anybody else, but about you and God. That's what he desires it to be. And so he he makes that statement. Close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The first one in verse 5 is show. The second one is, is really to just get alone and be with God. And it's a desire to be connected with God. And and guess what? Whenever you connect your heart to God, you will be rewarded. The very fact of being connected to him is reward in itself. So when you pray, I think Jesus says here, don't go for show. But the second verse, the the second truth is do pray alone. Verse 6 is very interesting in all these verses from 5 to 15. 5 through 15, all the words you are plural until he comes to verse 6. Verse 6 is the occasions where he moves to a singular you or your. You see, in, in, in the Greek language, like in some other languages, you can read it and distinguish, is he speaking you individual or you plural? And in this case, you see the change take place. He's speaking you broadly, and then he gets to verse 6, and he moves to you individually. And, and he makes this point. Both private, personal prayer, and public prayer are important. They're both critical. They serve each other. So he's not making a distinction like, this is the good kind of prayer, is personal, private prayer. He's saying public prayer is really important, but it is fraught sometimes with some difficulties that make things complex. John Piper makes an interesting comment on this verse. He writes, the more earnestly we pray in solitude, the more powerfully we pray in a group. And the more intense the prayer of the group, the more we will be helped to go hard after God in private. I think what he's he's advising here when he says um, this idea of, of public versus private, he's saying be careful about the public, but recognize public prayer is a really good thing. I have to say, if you don't spend some time, I, I, I do... Um, agree with Scott, one of the things that's helped me throughout my life is to come to those occasions where I pray publicly with others because there's something about hearing the prayers of someone who's walked with God for a long time. They do drive your heart to a place of longing. But there's also something about the truth that as you pray privately and you begin to pour out your heart to God, you come and you bring that into that setting as well. They kind of work together. And so Jesus is using word pictures here to express the point that there are places and ways to pray that are between you and the Father. And so now he's moving to these places that are between you and the Father. 
And he makes this idea, he says basically by entering such places or taking time to pray alone with God, you are demonstrating that you believe that God exists and he rewards those who seek him. That's what Hebrews 11 says. Prayer, do you think about it? One of the evidences of a heart relationship with God is a desire to want to pray. Because in praying, I mean, it's kind of, let's face it. If someone saw you praying, they're going to think you're a little crazy, right? So you're sitting in a room and you're talking to who? Unless you believe there really is a God who hears you. And unless you believe this God who hears you will reward you. Right? It's just an evidence of faith. So prayer is about being in conversation with God. It's not so much a comment of where, but when you do praise Jesus, do it for God. And it's, it's this conversation with God where it's you and God. It's about spending time with Jesus. And I want to share with you, there's two primary ways to make this really simple that I think we can spend time in prayer with God, that I encourage you to spend time. One of them is, in a, is what I call a conversational dialogue throughout the day. The Apostle Paul said this, and a lot of people said, well, what does this mean? I remember younger in my faith, I go, how do you do this? In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18, he says, be joyful always. I'm still really working on that one. Pray continually. God's really begin. he's helped me through the years in this one. Because when he says continually, he means all the time. And I'll explain that in a second. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, this idea of conversational, it helped me to understand that one of the things we are called to do in our life is to practice the presence of God being with us. If we have... Um, receive Christ as our Savior, he says the Holy Spirit abides in us. And when the Holy Spirit abides in us, we take the Holy Spirit with us everywhere. The question is, will we be aware of his presence? And, and, and that kind of praying doesn't come naturally to most people. That kind of praying is the kind of praying that actually does take some awareness. It takes some time, usually in one-on-one prayer, saying, God, I just want to be with you today. I want to recognize your gifts. I want to walk with you. It would be like this. You see, a lot of us can live our life in this way, where we you know, get up in the morning, we say, God, thanks for this new day, you know, you know, keep my family safe, and a few other things, and, and then go on your way. And it would be like, what if you got up, and as you get up, um, you have a friend with you who, who goes and they eat breakfast with you, and then they get in the car and they drive to work with you, and then they get and they sit next to the cubicle right next to you, and, and then they have lunch with you, and then you go to work out, and they work out with you. I mean, would it be silly if you did all that stuff with that person next to you and never enter into dialogue with them? That's really it is. It's this awareness that God is with me at all times so that you can have this conversation so there's this sense that I'm walking with God throughout every moment of my life. Now, that's scary because he's also with you when you're you know, getting ticked off at someone and doing something you shouldn't do. But the reality is, there is this sense that when you live with the guiding um, awareness of his presence, it really does cause your heart to move into a place where you want to walk with him and know him. I encourage you to think about that if you haven't thought about that before. What does that look like? What are things you can do to help that? There's also this other... This other idea of prayer, which I call one-on-one conversation with God your Father. 
And it's really not that much different than taking time. Like, you, let's say you go to Caribou and you sit down at Caribou and you sit down with someone and you talk about your plans or you maybe talk about some things that are going on or you meet with someone in a meeting. It's that one-on-one kind. You know, you grab a specialty drink or coffee, whatever it is, and, uh, and you sit down and you start to talk with one another. You spend maybe an hour together or a half hour, 20 minutes or something like that. There is an aspect of prayer that is not just a conversational dialogue with God throughout the day. There is an aspect of prayer where he calls us to come before him and and to spend some time in conversation with him, to spend some time learning how to talk to him about the things in our life for others who we love. And again, it's kind of a tough thing when you think about it because if you really do believe there is a God that you're meeting with and you also believe that he exists, you'll also know that he will reward that. And that's, that's hard sometimes to press through. And I don't know what it means for you or what it looks like for you, but in, in, in Jesus' life, you find him doing this. He modeled this. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus had just finished a busy day where he was healing. I mean, he was exhausted. And it says... In verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 6, 45 through 40, in verse 46, Jesus has just finished a busy day. They had, we're trying to get away to the other side of the shore. They get there, and all the people had come there, and he, he starts teaching them, and the disciples are not real happy about the fact that they're teaching them. And, and at a certain point, they go, you know, Jesus, we've got to end this meeting. The people are going to be hungry. We have no way to feed them. So he goes, that's not a problem. Let's pray, and 5,000 are fed. And, and, and listen to what it says in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. No, guys, I want you, you go, you go. While he dismissed the crowd, I think they were hangry, kind of, you know, that kind of, that, they, I think they were really, like, just worn out, and Jesus is going to go, I need some space. Because it says, after leaving them, he went into the hills to pray. It seems that after life gets really crowded and full, Jesus can't wait to get alone and be with God. It's like Jesus saying, Dad, um, I'll meet you at Starbucks. Let's grab a Starbucks and let's talk. I need time with you. And, and what you need to find out is how do you in your life make it a simple thing where you build a practice in your life where you meet with God on some occasion. I don't know what it looks like for you. I know for me it works best when I do something in the morning. And, and for me I try to do that somewhat daily. And, and what it means for me is I, it's really hard for me to sit and pray. I don't know if it's my ADHD, but you need to figure out how it works for you. For me, I have to like walk. It's like I'm in conversation with someone and walking. If somehow I'm using the motor skills, distracts me enough that I can actually be in conversation. It, it may mean for you, I remember some of the times when I really started to learn to pray, it was in warmer weather than this. I'd go outside because I love nature. And I'd walk and I would take time to talk with God. Or I'll go sometimes in, 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 in the, the summer or better months here, I'll go on the streets and through there to a path and I'll walk and I'll just talk with God. It's really important you find out in your life ways that you can do this. And so there's this one-on-one conversation. And then he goes on and he says in verse 7 and 8, when you pray, don't manipulate God with prayer. So if the first part is don't you know, manipulate others to look spiritual, or to make yourself feel spiritual. The second thing that Jesus says is don't think you can manipulate God to do what you want. 
And he gives this verse. He says, when you pray, uh, be careful about your words, your emotions, your actions, because remember, again, prayer is about a conversation with God. So in verse 7 and 8, he says, when you pray, do not, remember the do not, keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now catch this. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you asked him. Prayer, believe it or not, is not primarily about coming to God with requests and petitions. That can make it complicated and throw things off. It is a part of it. But Jesus almost implies that you don't need to ask or make requests when he says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him, doesn't it? Prayer is about engaging in a conversation with God in which all the components of a good conversation take place. It's about taking time to admire and praise and to give thanks and to make requests for yourself and others. I like what one author wrote on this verse. So just hang with me on this, would you? He says, to be quite honest, the popular idea that prayers are petitions to God who, like a king or Santa Claus, simply has to pay attention to our request and be properly disposed to granting it is somewhat bizarre when you think about the other things we say about God. We claim that God's omniscient. I mean, he knows everything. So why do we have to pray unless God likes to make us beg? He asks. We claim that God is gracious. So why do we have to ask a gracious God to act out of his own freedom and generosity? We claim that God is wise and generous. So why do we think we have to game the system by praying a lot stronger with, a, with more people in order to get God to do what we want? Isn't that interesting? How does a system of petitions and requests match up with everything we know about God elsewhere? I'm not saying that you don't give petition, you don't give requests, but so often that's what prayer becomes. Quite frankly, he writes, it doesn't. And it seems that perhaps the greater truth is left unexpressed that I think Jesus is getting to here. What if we were to imagine that God already knows what we want and that God already seeks to provide for us the things we need and that God already loves us and seeks to be in relationship with us and that God does not need to be bribed or bullied or cajoled to want to provide for us. God is already at work before our pleading, before our repetitions, before our attempts to get God's attention. So I'm saying, he says, that prayer... So am I saying that prayer has no use? He says, by no means. Prayer is incredibly useful but perhaps not in ways we're accustomed to thinking. What if prayer is about the prayer, you, more than the prayee? What if it's about transforming ourselves rather than trying to transform something in God? Jonathan Wesley, the great revival preacher who developed that whole uh, Methodist movement, it's said that he spent two hours a day in prayer. I'm not sure how he did that, but that's cool. Um, and I don't mean to put that down in any way, because I, I believe that there are people who God has used greatly, and one of the reasons is they have learned how to press into him. But he says, one great office of prayer is to exercise our dependence on God, to increase our desire of the things we ask for, to make us so sensible of our wants that we may never cease wrestling till we have prevailed for the blessing One of the great values of spending time in prayer with God is that it makes us more aware of what we really need. Prayer helps us to know what is worthy of our desires. Wesley would say this, if you feel uncomfortable praying for something, then perhaps the desire itself 
is something to look into. If you find yourself angry, if you go into the prayer closet, your place, your walk, whatever it is, or you find yourself reacting in anxiety, or you're in a place of fear, one of the great things about prayer is not, God, remove this that's getting me angry, or remove this. Some of it is not just remove the test, but some of it is, God, would you begin to make space in my heart to understand what this is all about and how you want me to grow in this? What is it you're developing in me? Prayer is all about developing this relationship with this really good Father who knows your heart and is willing to pour out his heart to you so that he can transform your heart and grow in a relationship with him. Prayer is not about manipulating God to do something through our many prayers and the volume of our words that we throw at him. Prayer works some change within our hearts and life as we pray. It makes us more aware of our need. It places our thoughts before us. It gives us the courage to strive after the blessings we seek. It's not about prevailing upon a reluctant God who will only give us what we ask for when we beg. Because if you just go a few you know, verses over. A little bit later in the message of Jesus, he looks at him and he says to these people who are harassed and hurt, worried and, and they're not knowing what to do, and Jesus says, I tell you, you do not worry about your life and what you'll eat or drink or the clothes you'll wear. Just look at the birds, look at the flowers. Your Father loves you. He will provide. And so part of it is what God does in our heart. And I believe one of the great things prayer does, I honestly believe if you move into prayer, it creates God's space in us. It opens our spirit for his presence and allows him room in our souls to move in our lives to do what he needs to do so that he can do what he wants to do out here. The Scottish devotional Oswald Chamber wrote, Our ordinary views of prayer are not found in the New Testament. We look upon prayer as a means of getting something for ourselves. The Bible's idea of prayer is that we get to know God himself. And in knowing him, we know ourselves. I was thinking about it and talking with Grace uh, just this week, and I said, Grace, what if we won the lottery? You've got to buy a ticket first, but what if we won the lottery? I mean, folks, did you hear that it's going to probably be about a billion? And and I was talking to her, I said, you know, I, I I, I wouldn't leave my job. I feel called to what God's doing here. Um... But, you know, I said, I think I would probably live with less anxiety and stress. And, 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 and then when I said that, I thought, why don't I live that way now? I mean, really? You just think about it. You have a heavenly father who, as he says, knows what you need before you've been asked. Prayer is about moving to that place where you get in touch with this father and you live out of that peace and that joy that he's there. You know what? I really think he just doesn't give us some of the things we want because he knows if he did, we'd crash and burn. Think about that. And and the reason I say that is because just yesterday I was listening to a report and they listed, I don't know, about five to ten people who had won the lottery. I mean, some people had won 200 million and they wasted it all. They ended up being in prison for a drug habit. Another guy, like, at $100 million, he ended up losing it all. And, and there was a murder that took place. I don't know if he got murdered or whatever happened. People who have won the lottery, gotten what they asked for, and they don't even have the capacity to carry it. 
Prayer is this incredible opportunity for God to build in you the capacity if you make space in your life and you begin to understand that prayer isn't about flowery words and about showing spirituality and somehow God's going to go, good job, you're, you're working your way up the ladder of my, my approval. It's not about that. It's not about the kind of things that we can do that if we can just say the right things, we'll manipulate God to do what we want him to do as if we some kind of person that needs to be cajoled into doing what we need. It's all about God. I love you. I want to get to know you more. I want to spend time with you and I want to open up my heart to you and I want you to begin to help me understand the deep desires of my heart so that you can move them in places where they need to go and you can build the character in me. You can do in me so that I can receive the blessing you want out here. And God wants us to walk in that. He wants you to walk in that. And so I said I would go through these last few points quickly. I, oh, I got to read this. One guy was asked once, what did you gain by praying regularly to God? Good question, right? What did you gain? And the man replied, nothing. The guy looked at him like, what? He said, let me tell you what I lost. Anger, pride, greed, depression, insecurity, and fear of death. The very things that kept the Spirit of God from filling me and flowing through me. So when you pray... Jesus goes on and says in 9 through 13, do it from your heart. I'm not going to share much on this because back in spring, May of 2014, I did a whole series when you um, called a, a new way to pray on the Lord's Prayer. He just basically says, here's a model prayer. Direct your heart, O fa- our Father. Sustain your heart, bread. Cleanse your heart, forgive. Protect your heart, lead me. That's kind of, those are basic things. Just direct my heart, get me tuned to you. And then I need some things, God, to sustain me. At least I do think so. Would you cleanse my heart? And then would you protect me? That's a simple prayer. And then when you pray, the very last thing is um, do pray from a right relationship. I think it's interesting that when Jesus ends this passage of Scripture, he says, for if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Isn't it interesting that Jesus ties that into the end of his, his talk here in prayer? And the reason I believe he does that is because Christianity is all about... Um, relationship it's not about a religion it's about some practices exercises that you do all these things are centered on a relationship that allows for the love of god to flow in us and through us and and i have to share with you the test of any good faith system is simply this are you becoming a more loving person the heart of our relationship with god is that he forgave us And because of his forgiveness, we could begin to experience his love. I think that's why Jesus ends here. The heart of our relationship with God is in forgiveness. And the heart that will be felt from others is as we forgive others. If we have been forgiven, we will forgive. Now, I just want to make this really clear, too, because some people think, well, when I forgive... I don't want to be, if you're in a, in, a, in a relationship where you're being abused or manipulated or things like that, you forgive. Forgiveness is what you, you do. It's about you. It's, you're not going to hold them accountable anymore. It's saying, God, I'm going to be in a position where I let them go and I trust them to you. But it doesn't necessarily mean you don't hold up some boundaries that are necessary for the relationship to be healthy, Right? But I think it is interesting because I don't think we understand how deeply unforgiveness destroys ourselves and cuts us off from God and cuts us off from others. And I think he ends here and he says, listen, folks, here's a condition. If you really want to pray, after all that I've said, make sure you're right. 
in your relationships with others. Forgive. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. Father, as we stand before you, there's just lots of things that we have shared and um, talked about this morning. But I just want to center on this. If you haven't received God's forgiveness and you're, you're even holding something against yourself, it, it's not yours to do. God forgives you. Would you just release that to him? And even now say, God, forgive me. I recognize what I did. You take the guilt from me that I might be able to be in conversation in relationship with you. And I just also want to ask you, if you're here and you know that things aren't right and you are holding unforgiveness, it is such a big deal that God says, don't hold it a second longer. You are opening your life. You're making space for really evil to take place. And he says, cleanse yourself from it. Let go. Forgive that person. And you may need to do that even as we sing this song. Father, thank you. In Christ's name, amen.